Welcome to the Dead Horse Mountain Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Wayne Garrett. My guest today on episode three is Caleb Champlin Couch. He is known internationally as the Hairy One. But more locally, people call him things like Big River or Long-Haired and Feral, a river rat. And by one of his beloved family members, he is described as where dreams come true and hearts get broken. To me, he is a southern genius. And my friend, he is a clutter-blind dreamer. The son of a poet. And if you believe in old souls, his is ancient. And we're going to start off this podcast with a monologue of him talking about a canoe trip he took down the Mississippi River. Enjoy. Can y'all hear me? Give me a thumbs up. Can you hear me? There's this one day I was sitting there working, and I just decided that I didn't want to work no more. And uh, later on that day, I'd seen my sister, and she asked me if I wanted to uh, canoe the Mississippi River. And I said, well, I really don't know much else to do. So, yeah, and then that was kind of that, and I never really thought much more about it other than, you know, I'm just kind of tired of my life and my job and all that, and yeah, it'd be cool to go on down the Mississippi River, I guess. And uh, I guess that's kind of where this whole thing, you know, starts off, you know. It's a long way down the Mississippi from Minnesota down to St. Louis, Missouri It's a long way down the Mississippi From Minnesota down to St. Louis, Missouri This bad luck and trouble The devil himself is sure to see Now it's a long way down the Mississippi from Minnesota down to Memphis, Tennessee. Wow. Cats a long way down to Mississippi. From Minnesota. Let's start with where were you born? Uh, El Dorado, Arkansas. Uh, August 84. Almost in the elevator. Because that's what you, back what when they had the candy stripers, you know, young kids that would, uh, like, get you. In the wheelchair, like they, you know, pulled in. She's already flipping out. So they run out there and get her in the wheelchair. And you had to go to whatever floor at the hospital. So they get in the elevator. And she starts having a, a contraction there. So she hollers. Well, as soon as the elevator door opens, the kid just runs out without her. And was like, well, I need help or whatever. And the elevator closed and she goes off to another floor. So it took them a second to get her in there or whatever, but... So you came in wild. Yep. Uh, where did you grow up? Uh, first eight years at uh, Morro Bay, Arkansas, on the Washita River. Oh, about 20 minutes north of El Dorado. And then from 9 to 18, Star City, Arkansas, which was a little bit different than down there. But... Uh, that's definitely where I graduated high school, kind of messed around for a year or so there, doing construction, staying drunk all the time, and then moved to Fayetteville. 
and realize like, damn, not everybody's that ignorant where you go. You know, like I got to straighten up a little bit here. Damn. I've seen a picture of a houseboat. Um, was that your house? For three summers it was. Uh, my dad got that houseboat off of this guy that he knew back in his younger days. And uh, he cruised up and down the river doing odd jobs on it. And uh, he got tired of that, said he was too old to do it anymore. And he wanted my dad to have it because uh, he's always, you know, good to him and stuff and knew he'd, like, appreciate it. So we got it. And, yeah, for three summers, that's where I lived, like, from the day, like, last day of school, that's the first place I went. And I didn't come back to Star City pretty much until it was time to go back to school. And what water was that on? Uh... Moro Bay, it's like where Moro Creek runs into the Washita River. But it was just like a deer camp on floats. It was just one big long room. Had a king size bed in the back. The bathroom was closed off, but the rest just wide open kitchen down one side, two twin beds, a little spot to eat and stuff, and a deck all the way around it. And like that's the only way to get to it was by boat too. So I'd wake up, take, like, Dad to shore, and then take, April worked at the state park. I'd take her there, and then Mom would always find something to do, so I'd take her to the bank, and then I would just ran the river all day. How old were you? That would have been 13, 14, 15. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of effect did that have on your life and personality? Oof. Man, it definitely had the effect of, uh, you know, looking back on it, um, it definitely had the effect of, I enjoyed, like, nature and everything it had to offer way more than anything man-made or anything somebody just handed to me, you know, like... I don't know, it's just interesting. Something about being on the water. Uh, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks about you or any of that. Like, it's it's up to you to, to make your own choices there. I don't know. It's just more of a freeing thing, I guess. I don't know. A freeing thing? Well, I didn't look at society in any other shape or form. Like, I, it just wasn't a part of my life. So when I would go into it, I would see people... Meaning like going into town. Going stuff. into town or some big gathering or church or school, like places I hadn't been messing with. Like you would see that people were making decisions based off of what they thought they were supposed to be doing yeah. instead of what they knew they were supposed to be doing. I don't know. Yeah. You went to public schools, K through 12, and graduated? Yep. Was that a... Good or bad overall experience in retrospect, being from a place like Star City, basically. Yeah, it was good in retrospect as far as it was a great place to be from. I would never want to be there. I'd never choose for somebody to be there, you know. But I don't know. I haven't been there in 20 years, basically. I don't know what it's really like there anymore. But when I was there, it was a very oppressive, 
uh, like people put their bad, ignorant thoughts into action there. Uh, as far as, you know, it was all about who you were is how you got the opportunities. Like at the school, it was truly no child left behind. Like nobody challenged you in any way, shape or form. Uh, like it was just all really easy. Like I never learned how to study or anything there. But as far as life lessons and, uh, you know, just the characters there were amazing. Like, you know, good or bad, like people there really like were them. Is there a time when it was like the most fun or your favorite time period or where all the characters were like the most vibrant? Oh, definitely like kindergarten, first grade. That was like the uh, wildest time period? Up to third grade, it was, everybody was pretty wild as far as, you know, it didn't matter what was going on, they was doing their thing, you know. Like, definitely didn't see any kind of color or disability or nothing like that. But then, when I moved to Star City, all of a sudden it changed. Like, everybody was worried about anything but you really is all about what you look like who you was hanging out with what kind of stuff happened outside school like what was your friend group doing outside of school like were y'all just going outdoors and living that rural life or were y'all causing trouble in town yeah i mean until we started getting our our driver's license and being like legal to go into town we stayed out of it um but you know from definitely 13 up we did kind of whatever we wanted to as long as it wasn't in front of the wrong people, you know? Like, we were always going frog gigging or fishing or camping, you know, and it, like say, we would be three or four of us from around there, and, I mean, we'd stay in the boat out in the swamps till three, four in the morning, and nobody said a word as long as we, like, checked in the next morning and was like, hey, we survived, you know? Like, that was just cool, you know? Like, they didn't... They weren't worried about us hurting ourselves or anything like that because they had taught us better than that. Like, we had proved ourselves. Like, no yo, cell phones? No cell phones. When did no. you get your first cell phone? I remember we had a family cell phone that we used kind of like a landline when I was maybe like 14, 15. But I didn't get my own cell phone until I was probably... 18, 19, like, we didn't really see any use in it. I mean, we saw the use in it, but it wasn't a big deal, Right. you know. That was like kind of, you got, you got a job and you got a phone. Mm-hmm. What was, what was your first job? Oh. First legal job. First legal job? Because, <laughs> like, you probably worked before you were working age, right? Oh, yeah. I remember the first job I actually got paid for was I was seven years old and chopped cotton out on the farm. Whose farm was it? It was ours. We weren't farming it, but it was our land. That's when we, we lived on it for 
a little bit when my grandparents started getting uh, where they couldn't take care of themselves. I remember April wanted some money, so they told her she could uh, chop cotton. And I was like, well, I want to make some money. You know, they're like, well, go chop some cotton. And I didn't really know what chopping cotton was about when I first went out there. All it is is getting the weeds out. I, I probably chopped more cotton than I did weeds, I'm pretty sure. I don't know. But I remember they gave me a check for $75, but they made me go put it in the bank. They wouldn't let me have it. But yeah, my first legitimate one was uh, roofing in Pine Bluff, or I can't even remember the guy's name. I just remember his wife was however old and was into pageants. Like, she was like Miss Pine Bluff or something, but she had like the biggest teeth and like the craziest laugh and smile and uh my buddy trey was working with me Heck, he was so i was 14 and he was 13 or i was 15 and he was 14 i can't remember but anyway that was our deal we, he'd take us to lunch with him and i would just try to get her to laugh just because we could <laughs> we love making fun of her damn teeth <laughs> that's all i would do the whole lunch man it was awesome and then this guy i can't remember his name now he lived off in the hood, and uh, I'd take him uh, home after work, and he'd buy us beer, and we'd drink beer back to the house. We just thought that was, you know, what it was all about, work hard, play hard, you know. You've done a lot of different jobs, but right now, and for as long as I can remember or known you, you've been splicing fiber optic cable. How long have you done that? How do you get started? What is it? Man, that's one of those deals that's tough. Like, there's some videos out there now where you can kind of see parts of it, but um, I'll be, I think, 16 years this November, like first or something. Right around there, it'll be 16 years. But, uh, you know, I'd done different jobs and knew that there was no way I could... Uh, do an office job, no matter how much money it paid or anything. Like, I just couldn't handle being in an office. And uh, so I always knew I was going to do something with my hands still. And when I first moved up to Fayetteville, I uh, got a job doing um, satellite TV installs. And that's how I got to know the area so well, too. All like, the drive. Like, if you ever want to know an area when you move to it, get a job doing satellite TV. Because you're all over the place. like. And uh, anyway, I uh, ran into, like, it, work started slowing up and it just wasn't the same anymore. Uh, and I got this uh, gig doing uh, security systems. And it uh, was through that guy. Like, it, it was a fun job as far as I learned a lot of ways of running wires that I'd never known before and keeping them hidden and all that. But I was tired of working in attics and crawl spaces for, I mean, I'm sorry, but like people that are so worried about their stuff that they install a security system just ain't really my kind of people. And uh, anyway, this guy that I'd met through the job, his buddy Bobby had just got out of the Marines and come into town and I got to know him and he had, somehow got the job splicing fiber optics and we were buddies and one day he was like dude just here holler at this guy and like 
just send the application in and you'll have a job. So I did that and he hollered at me and I was like, yeah, you can start tomorrow if you want, whatever. Were you like good at it right away? Yeah. Yeah. Like I was lucky enough. I kind of worked with different cables and stuff and like I knew uh, how everything can be different and like he showed me how to build one pad so it's you know you might see them out in the subdivision by a house it's just like a green square box and uh, the cable just makes a loop in there and you break it down it has tubes in there with and each tube has the fiber in it so you figure out from the prints which tube you need and all that but he showed me how to do the first ped, and then he got a phone call to do something, and like I never saw him again for I don't know maybe like two weeks at least, and I'd built everything in the subdivision, and uh, he was like, "Damn, you know." So I just right off the bat, they just started throwing me to the wolves, and that was I went and did this cable that was live, you know, and it had traffic on it already, and that was a really big deal back then. It still is, but. I remember I went out there, and uh, the guy on the other end of it was like their senior tech, and he would always do goofy stuff to try to trick you and things like that to make you look stupid. And I'd already been warned about him, you know. And he told me to, you're supposed to only cut one fiber at a time. He told me to cut two. And I asked him, I was like, you want me to cut both those? And he said, yeah. So I cut both of them and spliced them back together. And... Uh, he called, and he was like, what's going on down there? And I was like, uh, nothing. I said, I'm waiting on you to splice that second fiber. He's like, what? He's like, you cut both of them? You weren't supposed to do that? I was like, fuck off, dude. I was like, it don't matter if I was supposed to or not. It's already cut and spliced down here. Like, you said splice both of them. I double-checked. You said, yeah, that's what I did, man. Like, I ain't, like, I don't bullshit. And after that, like, the boss man called me the next day and was like, Mike said he did an awesome job. And, like, after that, it was hell on wheels, dude. <laughs> it was on. But, I mean, that's what's kept me in fiber so long is... I, even when I don't enjoy, like, the situation I'm in, it doesn't affect my quality of work. It doesn't make me do something that's not me. Uh, and you're always on the road, like in a different town. And like, I'm a people person and all, but like the everyday drama drives me crazy. So I don't have to deal with the everyday drama that I know will make me like not be me. But it's also like the modern day version of like being a cowboy. Like you're always out there in a situation where, you know, it, it's on you. And you're having to, to deal with people that you've never seen or known. Uh, so, you know, you have to understand how to try to get to know somebody and like what they're really about. Like, are they trying to sell like in you? in a hurry too. Are they trying to sell you something or are they really trying to, you know, help you out here? So, you like that or you, or don't? Oh, I love it. It's exciting and I don't know. It just keeps you more focused on it's not about you all the time. Like, there was nothing in this world that was for you and you only. You might be, you might end up doing things that are better or worse than somebody, but you're no better or worse than them. It's, you know, it's not the things you, you do, it's why you do them that matter to me.
house. This was your dad's house, and then it was your Uncle Don Earl's house. Mm -hmm. And it's right here on the Middle Fork River. We're in Polk County, Arkansas. And we took this red fiberglass canoe out on this Middle Fork River this morning. And I picked up you and that red fiberglass canoe one day at the end of the Mississippi River. And what had happened was you had floated it for 110 days. You went with a party of four in an aluminum canoe and then that red fiberglass canoe. And I've got the paddle that you took down the river in storage right now. And we took out the paddle this morning that you that was your sister's. Um, you floated the entire length of the Mississippi River. And some number of days into that trip, you got a phone call or a message that your father had passed away. How significant or meaningful is that whole river experience to you? And how... Take us from the inception until, uh, well, you know, as far as you want. My sister in a canoe, this guy named Dark Man, and another guy in another canoe. And uh, 110 days it took us to get from Minnesota to New Orleans, actually to go to Mexico. And uh, everybody asked us the whole way along, you know, well, what are y'all doing this for? And uh, for me, myself, I really didn't have an answer other than about three or four days into it, I was sitting there thinking about how, you know, my job was worried about where I was, my family was worried about where I was, and everything. And I just got up to drink coffee one morning before everybody else. And I just felt different, you know. And I just sat there and I was like, well, you know, what is going on here? Like, why do I feel so different? And I just had this whole just feeling come over me of, of pure euphoria. Because I had gotten over all my stresses in life and everything I was worried about. And I knew that all I needed to worry about were the needs of me and the needs of my family and, and the needs of my friends. And, and that's why I couldn't stop doing what I was doing. And uh, it was the first thing I'd experienced outside love that I didn't know I couldn't imagine. And ever since that day, I've tried to put myself in those situations. And I've been happy ever since that day. trip wasn't so much uh, life like changing I mean it was but it was more of like confirming a lot of the things I already looked at life in a certain way about you know as far as like my sister uh, brought it up while we were actually here out in the garage and uh, she said that this guy she had met uh, while her and Christy were, I think, bicycling 
they were going to bicycle across America or whatever. But that's where they met Dartman, was at this like trade show along the way. And uh, April gave him her number and didn't really think anything about it. Well, he hit her up one day and was like, hey, if, uh, if I can get us like, partway sponsored as far as getting a lot of the gear and stuff like that, you know, for free, would you canoe down the Mississippi River with me? And she was like, well, yeah, if you really want to do it. And then Dartman had this other friend, Stephen, younger guy, uh, maybe like 21 or something. And uh, hell, he could have been older. I can't even remember now. He was going to go with us, and she asked me if I would go, like quit my job and everything, because it'd take at least, you know, probably 60 days to do. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it, you know, but didn't think a lot about it, you know, because April can be a, a dreamer too, you know. <laughs> and... uh. I just remember it was maybe, and then my dad had said, you know, that was really cool. Like, he thought that was badass to do that. He always wanted to do that. And uh, That river in particular? Just any kind of trip like that, you know. Yeah. And, because um, we were always river people. And uh, I just remember I was down in Texarkana, and, like, there was a panel outside of a cell site. And, like, I had done no telling how many of these things. And it was even like on a Friday, like once I got it done, I could leave and go do whatever I wanted to. And I just remember I pulled up there and I was looking at it and like two hours went by and like I hadn't moved or nothing. And, you know, I just remember I was like, damn, I'm burning the fuck out. Like, and I called April right then and was like, we're going. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, we're going down the river. And... I don't know, it was probably like six months after that or something when we finally left. But, yeah, my dad was all about it. But right before we left, you know, uh, you know, you could tell my dad wasn't in the best of, like, health. And he, you know, wasn't saying anything about it. But uh, I remember sitting right out there and talking to him and saying, hey, like, because he had mentioned something about not coming off the river no matter what happens. And I just told him, I was like, look, you can, like, die right here in front of me right now. And, you know, that'll suck, but it's going to be okay. Like, you yeah. did your job. Like, me and April know how to live. Like, yeah. we'll be fine, you know. And uh, it was like, that's awesome. And then probably about a week into it, maybe, we just stopped in Bemidji. It's like the first town on the river. <laughs> And uh, first civilization of any kind. And we was at the bar having a beer and shooting pool. That's when April come in and was like, uh, Dad's in the hospital, you know, he's not, you know, up or anything, yada, yada. Like, we didn't know a lot. And uh, I was just like, well, uh, you know the deal. Like, if he can't live on his own, like, don't keep him going. Like, other than that, like, Ain't shit we can do, you know? Like, I'm no miracle worker. Like, it is what it is, but we ain't leaving this river, you know? And everybody was giving my sister hell about it, like, trying to get us to leave. And I remember I called Freddie Mac, who was, like, you know, the bitch of the family. And she was giving April hell. I remember I just called her, and I was like, hey, look, like, I know, like, you're like spearheading all this stuff, but I just want you to know straight up, like we are not leaving this river, no matter what y'all think. So don't 
ask my sister to leave this river again. Like, we're not going. And then, like, the next day, I think, is when he died. But, like, we found out, like, right when we was putting in Lake Bemidji. And it started raining, it was cold, and it was cold. It was, like, awesome, too. Not that a tornado hit y'all's camp, but like right away, you were mentioning it was cold and rainy, and it was like severe weather up north for a bit. Well, it was cold and rainy, and then the water was high when we were up on the northern end, and <clears throat> I remember... From snow melt, or like what was the Just reason? a lot of rain. Oh, yeah. And... um I'm trying to think exactly where it was, but we were so happy because we had finally camped somewhere that wasn't in Minnesota. Yeah. It was actually after we made it pretty far south, because you're in Minnesota for a long time. But anyway, it was somewhere around, I think, Prescott, Wisconsin was the town. We were right below. And it was a nice day and all that, and, you know, we pull the canoes up, and we get our tent set up and all. And at the time, me and April were sharing just like a Walmart Target tent because Darkman hadn't got our tent sent to us that we were supposed to have. And I just remember, you know, it starts storming a little bit. And uh, I thought I felt like a gust of wind as far as like, I thought I felt the tent like collapse on one end, but like pop back up. And then all of a sudden, like it's like a train roaring and the tent collapses back down and I grab the poles and push them up and my hands are on fire from the hail getting blown into them and like all I'm thinking is is like I just really don't hope anything hits me in the face because I'd already given in on like the hands burning like whatever and uh it finally stops April's like damn you know as you said something I'm like well look out outside see if you see the canoes and uh i remember she uh looks back she was like they're gone i'm like shit i'm like this is how motherfuckers <laughs> drown like i'm gonna have to like I, I was afraid they got thrown into the river you know and uh we get out there and uh everybody's like y'all okay y'all okay you know and steven and dark man is like yeah we're fine and uh, Steven says something. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm looking for the canoes. He's like, shit. So he hops out, you know. And they had aluminum one, uh, shining the light down the bank, and you could see it shining. And it had got thrown into a, a tree, probably, I don't know, 50, 60 feet away at least. And then we just followed the trail of trash and everything that was in the canoe to ours, because you could just see this trail of stuff. And what was crazy is where the canoe was at, it went right over all of our tents. Like, it had to have just flown over us or cartwheel just right. But we probably found it, like, a good 30 or 40 yards off in the bushes and stuff. From where you had Yeah, and we it. didn't lose a single thing. Like, even every piece of trash we had, we ended up finding. 
But yeah, that was wild. And then we were somewhere, or maybe we had phone service at the time or something. Like we'd turn our phones on just to like look at the weather every now and then or something. Yeah. And there was a, a deal where it wasn't a train we were hearing. It was the tornado alarms from Prescott that was making the big loud noise like that. But yeah, I guess there had been a tornado somewhere around there. I was like, yeah, right on top of us. <laughs> Dude, that's wild. Um, so y'all are floating. I remember seeing some pictures like, so you're floating down the river. And it's it's scenic for a while. And the river's not opened up yet. Like, where did the river open up at and get wide and turn into what you might recognize as the Mississippi River? Well, that was what was interesting. Like, when we were, you know, basically all of Minnesota down to, oh, I don't know, before you get to Cairo, Cairo, whatever, the southern tip of Illinois, there's some parts of it that would remind you uh, of what a lot of people think of as far as big, wide, muddy water. It's skinnier. But definitely, like, before you get to Minneapolis you'll be talking to the locals and they're like, where are y'all going? And we started saying, you know, we'd be like, Gulf of Mexico. And they're like, the river goes down there? You know, and, that, you know, it was kind of felt weird, but at the same time, until I got ready to canoe the Mississippi River, I didn't know where it started at. I mean, I knew it was somewhere up around in Minnesota, but I didn't know where. But these people grow up their whole life around it and don't realize yeah. that that little stream is the Mississippi River. Well, they know it's the Mississippi River. They just don't look at it as, like, the, the big river that it is. They just don't think about where it goes, you know. Boy, that says a lot about how people think, doesn't it? Well, it's... <clears throat> they don't really... They forget that there's a bigger picture out there yeah. that's separate from all of us, you know. Did the, did the whole river experience help open your mind up to that, too? Definitely, as far as, like, that was something my dad taught me. He was like, look, you know, it's up to you to figure out who you are. But, you know, everybody, there's a flow to life, like, just like the river, you know. Like, you just got to find your flow. Yeah. Like, whatever that may be. So, yeah, I mean, it definitely, like I say, there was a lot of things that I knew, but I didn't. Like, I hadn't proven to myself that I knew I'm right as far as not trying to force things in, in life unless you got a really good reason to. Is that a gut feeling or instinct feeling? Or a little bit of both sometimes, maybe? I think it's a little bit of both. Like, when I was younger, I was definitely more uh, hot-headed, like, just, like, whatever it was we were doing, I was trying to do it, like, as hard and as fast as I could. And, <clears throat> which was really good, um, but at the same time, I was a little bit misguided in it sometimes, you know. Like, I, if I was hurt about something or, like, something didn't go my way, I, would, I wouldn't be able to catch myself. And, like, a lot of the things that I was trying to, uh, be mad about or try to blame for like why would somebody know that I didn't tell anybody that shit like you never know what somebody's thinking unless they tell you you know 
And uh, so it took me a while to learn that, like, as far as, like, what to hold in and what to let loose. But either way, it wasn't other people's fault for how I was feeling, you know. Like, I had to deal with it myself, right, wrong, or indifference, you know. Because that was the thing on the river, you know. People would be like, well, what did you do? I'm like, well, I just... I don't know, it was probably, it was before Bemidji. It was maybe like three, four days in or something. It was cold and like miserable. And I remember I never like wake up and like get coffee or anything going. I'm never that guy. And I, but I was that day, like I just woke up and was like, just started getting going. And I just remember sitting there and like it was dead quiet and there was a lot of fog in the air, you know, and so you could kind of see the trees, and it was just different views all over. And I just felt different. I don't know, it was just like this different feeling. And uh, like it just kind of dawned on me, it was like the way I was supposed to be trying to feel as far as like, it was like pure euphoria, like all the stress and everything that was stuff that, looking back on it was purely in my mind the way I was letting it affect me like all that just melted away like it just disappeared that was before or after your dad passed away before it kind of sounds like a spiritual uh, passing for you in a way like from some thing into the next thing like the way of thinking changed let me say that's It changed my thinking from, because the whole, like, making decisions based off of stress and this and that, like, I'd already kind of learned that a lot being on the road, you know, at this point, you know, probably five, six years or something. And, uh, but it uh, made me switch it over to actually making decisions based off of that. You know, instead of waiting until something happened and then, you know, uh, like to catch myself and figure out why, like whenever I made a reaction or did something I didn't really like myself, like I felt bad about it. Like say I wouldn't worry about the action, I would try to figure out where my mind was when I made that action. Like why did I do something that I myself was not happy with? So you made like more of a connection with yourself that morning than you'd been having before. Because all the shit I was pissed off about was on me. Like I was the one that made the shit like that. Yeah. Do you think that you needed that river trip and the whole ambiance around that to get your mind ready to even think like that? Or do you think that that would have happened naturally as like a, you know, a young person becomes a more mature person? I think it helped me keep from falling into the pitfall of uh, putting happiness in uh, material things. You know, a lot of times I was thinking about working or making money or whatever for 
so I could get this or that or like basing the money the I'm making thing. off off of somebody else or whatever, you yeah. know. And I just made the decision like I'm not going to worry about that anymore, you know. Yeah. And so like once again, it's like a real spiritual place in your mind that you're at right then. And then how was it to roll down the river in a canoe and you're going from basically like the middle of nowhere and you're rolling into these big towns like what was the energy shift in your mind would you would you allow like the city to kind of take you on that ride when you got there or would you try and like hold down the the river flow you know what i'm saying do you know what i'm trying to ask oh yeah I mean, yeah well that, that's one of those deals yeah. where it kind of helped me with the whole um you know like being a chameleon thing as far as I try to be like the people that's there. You know, I'm not trying to force a place into my thoughts, you know. So like rolling into the big towns, it was a little bit different being around people or like, you know, you could tell we'd been, like we weren't from town. Like we was so tan and shit and like the way I look. So, you know, if I'm going into a city, I'm going to try to take advantage of the things I can't get outside of that city. So it's like yeah. the, the food and the yeah. drinks and just the walking around and bullshit. conversations like there was a lot of silence a lot of talking too but you know it really didn't make too much of a it wasn't really a anything you had to worry about thinking about you know it, it was always a natural thing unless uh you were doing something that was pissing other people off and then all of a sudden it starts getting a little chippy or like you say something, all of a sudden they're like bitching at you about how you said it or whatever. Then you're like, okay, like something's up. Would you say you got closer to your sister during that trip or did it just stay the same from growing up till then and then now? It kind of brought us back to like how our parents taught us to treat each other, you know, as far as we really, in my opinion, like the way I seen, saw it and felt it, learned from it was, uh, you know, I don't know too many siblings that could do what we did uh, and have a good time the whole way. Like the only time me and her got into it uh, was Dark Man was just pissing everybody off. Like everything he would bring up, he would turn into an argument or something and like, you know, whatever. And we're canoeing down through there, and he says something, and it wasn't even a bad thing. Like, you know, and April took it the wrong way and started bitching at him. I'm like, April, I was like, who cares what Dark Man is saying? Like, you're like, nobody wants to hear you bitch about anything, you know? And she got all pissy about it and said something like, well, I'll just, you know, put my paddle down, not even paddle or something like that, you know? And, uh, or no, that's what it was. She was like, well, what do you want me to do? I was like, fucking paddle. And she was like, I'll th pull my paddle down. I'm like, that's fine. I was like, you don't have to paddle another stroke. 
the rest of this trip. But whether you paddle or not, we're still making it to the end of this fucking river. But that was my deal. I was like, I don't care what anybody throws at us. We are not stopping. Like, y'all can't. I was like, I don't care if I'm the last one all by myself. Like, I'm not stopping what the fuck I'm doing. I met up with y'all in Memphis. And, uh... Y'all ran into a news crew in Memphis. What's up with that? Well, what was wild is, you know, before we hit Minneapolis, everything was like record highs. And after that... As far was as like, the river level. After that was record lows, droughts. And we get to Memphis, and uh, we're just sitting there hanging out, like waiting on you to show up. And like, I think my mom was coming, but it was going to be another day or whatever. We're just hanging out at the marina at Mud Island, and uh, this guy with a camera comes up there, and he's kind of shooting some stuff, and he bullshits with us, and we start telling him what we're doing. He was like, oh, man, he goes, you know, you care if I do some interviews, and, like, I'll do some shots? He's like, I'm doing a story on the record low levels, and uh, that's what I was doing down here, and, like, this is kind of, you know, part of it and way cooler or whatever. He's like, it'll be on the news tonight or, or something, but it was Channel 5, out of Memphis and you can still find it sometimes on the internet it's somewhere yeah. around there um but he just interviewed us and uh you know kind of asked us about the trip and you know why we were doing it and uh for some reason they didn't get Steven on there but Dartman's on it April's on it and then I'm on it at the end pretending like you're writing in your diary yeah, he's like, do something. I remember I was writing in there like, man, this guy's filming me right now, and I'm supposed to be acting like I'm writing, and I don't know how to do that, so that I'm writing this right now. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to find my journal and, and uh, find that page, dude. But uh, he asked me, you know, like, so why are you doing it? And I told him, I was like, you know, you tell people what you're doing, this and that, and they, they look at you like you're crazy, and so I figured if they're going to look at you like you're crazy, you might as well give them a reason, you know? So that was my whole deal, too, is like, why do you do it? Well, can you give me a reason why not to? But then I remember you, uh, and that was the deal, you know, we partied hard for a couple of days there, and then y'all left. Buddy and Stephanie came and visited, had a great time, and then we struck out. And uh, let's see, where was the next crazy thing? Oh, we met. Run into the twins. Tell about the yeah. Twins. We ran into the twins and uh, uh, Sonny, uh, right above Helena, because we had uh, been in some jug wine somewhere. Because we had been uh, hearing about these girls that were canoeing the river, but they were like way ahead of us, you know. And uh, we left out of Memphis, and it was like a day or two after that we are canoeing down through there and we see on the bank some people and they're like waving so we pull over there and it's them it's the twins um laura and um damn it that's so dumb i can't remember her name right now holy shit she they're cool as hell and sunny and uh, they were in a punk band together the two twins i think sunny was a drummer maybe but uh uh Sonny was in the uh, kayak and then they had an aluminum canoe the twins were in and then we stayed together all the way down to Baton Rouge uh, with them 
And then at Baton Rouge, their dad, uh, Sonny's dad, come and picked them up um, right before the hurricane hit. I had to wait out a hurricane in Baton Rouge. Ike? I can't remember what it was. I'd have to look back. But I remember they shut the river down, and we were lucky we just happened to be there in a town. And uh, we got a hotel room and stayed drunk, played cards and board games while the hurricane was raging. Got a tattoo in a hotel room during that of a catfish with hell yaddle on it. Um, Tell us about hell yaddle real quick. Well, the the girls, like, they kept saying that everybody was so worried about them and, like, how did y'all make it this far and stuff. And I'm like, have y'all seen how y'all look canoeing out there? Like, it looks like y'all ha- you just hopped in five minutes ago. Like, they don't know how to pack. Yeah. Like, so we did this little canoe school thing, you know, everybody would swap out. We'd do this and that. We actually got them going pretty good, but they were... Uh, doing a little like chant for like the graduation or something and they got to this spot where it's like are you ready to paddle and they could never finish it up with anything and I was just like hell yaddle hell yaddle and they was like oh that's it so anytime something you know badass would happen we'd be like hell yaddle so I got that tattooed on there but what's funny the guy tattooing it he's like how do you spell yaddle and I was like paddle but with a y and I never looked at it you know other than just like, oh, yeah, there's something back there. Right, because it's on your shoulder blade on your back. And there's a, it's a couple of days later after we get back on the river, and uh, we run into these uh, people on the bank. And uh, the girl's looking at my shoulder. She was like, what does that say? Hell, what? I'm like, hell, Yaddle. And she was like, uh, it says Y-A-D-D-E-L. And I'm like, damn, I wish I could take credit for that shit, but... Yeah, no, nah, he misspelled paddle, but that was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, that is crazy. All the uh, good stuff that happened on that trip. Yeah, that's I mean, another you thing. You should be writing a book about this. So we, I don't want to. That know. was the biggest. I guess that was the biggest thing I learned that I didn't know about at all. Really, uh, was that when you're doing something worthwhile. Whenever you look back at it, you have to think about the bad times. Like, anytime something comes up about the river, like, it's only good times that come up. Or even if it was a time that could have been considered bad, like, it wasn't, you know, like a negative thought or, like, fuck this or, you know, like... It wasn't tragedy. No. Y'all almost... I mean, like I said, I want to hear or read a book one day about this whole river experience but there's a waterfall on the mississippi rivers that's called the passage of rocks or something like that the uh and y'all almost biffed it chain of rocks i think it's called it's right above like you almost had a tragedy on the river with that yeah right above st louis um and it's like a natural like you say kind of waterfall there and if the water's up high enough you just paddle right over it well we don't know anything about it and everybody we ask about it didn't really know as far yeah, as and y'all had some river maps. Was it on there? Well, there's they dug a channel around it, so it says like take the channel. We're like whatever. We want to take as much of the original river as we can, and we're coming towards it. And you could tell like it was just a little too smooth of an edge to the water. 
I'm looking at April and I'm like, can you see anything up there? I was like, you see where we might want to go? And because they got like this, I don't know what it is, like a, looks kind of like a lighthouse in the middle of the river. Maybe that's what it was at one time, lets you know where to go or stop. And we went by it, the water like was moving faster than it had been like when we went by anything else that day. And I'm just like, man, this just don't seem right. So we stand up, Maple's like, I think we should go there. We stand up and I look and you could tell, like it's a drop before you see the water again. I'm like, oh no. I'm like, we gotta start going towards the bank. So we turn and luckily there's like a little step down. So we made it through it. Another little step down and we get to the bank and then it's just like white water for 50 yards all the way across the river. So we're like, oh shit, like what are we gonna do here? And uh, we found a little spot where we could get the canoes through, we thought, you know. So we like get geared up, like life jackets on, everything's tied down. And it probably took us about an hour to pump ourselves up, you know. And uh, we finally get in the canoes, push off, and hit that little cut we seen. We made it through just fine. Took on a little bit of water splashing in on the sides, but didn't even really make a bobble. And uh, anyway, we pull in on the bank, and it was hilarious because me and April are like pumped, like having a great time. We pull up on the bank, and Steven's like cussing Dark Man because he didn't do something right. And uh, Steven told him right then, he was like, dude, because they were, we, me and April always had to wait on them and we wouldn't even be paddling hard. And Darkman's up there looking like he's paddling. I was like, look y'all, Darkman's full of shit. Like, he's gonna take advantage of you no matter what. That's just him. Like, you're gonna have to know that. Like, you gotta call him on this bullshit immediately. Well, you know, we done been on the river for you know, month and a half, two months or whatever at this point at least. And Stephen told him that if we beat them to the arch in St. Louis that he was kicking him out the boat. And I shit you not, dude, they took off and we never saw them again. Like that's how fast they went. Like Dark Man had not paddled for literally like two thousand miles pretty much. Like like I told y'all, motherfuckers. <laughs> I was hoping you were gonna bring that up. That he had to paddle the whole trip. Oh, it was hilarious, man. We could not keep up with him at all after that. It was great. So y'all float on down, and you're floating and you're floating. And I was supposed to pick you up on a Wednesday with our buddy Derek McKinley. We drove Tuesday night. We left at 8 p.m. And I was I was breaking all kinds of speeding laws from northwest Arkansas down to Venice. Venice. And I get there. And like I said, it was a Wednesday. And there's a Coast Guard there telling me, you know, there ain't nothing really going on down here. There was just a hurricane. Yeah, everything was still messed up from the hurricane. I said, I got to pick these people up. I said, they're in a canoe. Because they were kind of vetting everybody coming past a certain point. Because it was chaos down there. Yeah, Boats were in the that. road. Yeah. Barges were on the levee. He goes, man, y'all are lucky you weren't here Monday. You would have had to drive down the levee the entire way to pick them up. Um, and then, so anyways, I'm down there at what they call the end of the world. 
And y'all had gotten word that like once you float out, there's gonna be all these boats to tow you back in because like the river's pushing out into the Gulf and you're gonna need some assistance. Uh, you almost didn't get towed back because like there was nobody down there because of well, the hurricane. Yeah, that was the thing. Like all the way down there, especially once we hit Baton Rouge and South, they were like, "Oh yeah, it'll be no problem. Like there'll be plenty of boats that'll you know bring you back." Well, <clears throat> we as far as getting the best ride back, we should have gone the new route of the river and just gone the commercial way and we could have got somebody to pick us up there but we went the middle route and where everybody goes fishing and it's prettier and less stuff yada yada and we get down there and there's one boat fishing it's like a little bitty boat like they wouldn't be able to help us and it's like man this is gonna be a long hard paddle back you know so we start paddling back and there's uh can't remember the name of the community but it used to be the original um what's the word I'm looking for not fort but like the uh, port port yeah for yeah. down there and now it's just some hunting camps and we lucked out because like the next day or the next weekend was opening day of teal season so there's some guys getting their uh, camp ready and at first we're just asking questions and stuff and like you can tell they're not really wanting to take us slash I can tell they're kind of like seeing what we're about and they were trying to change a motor out on this boat and I just remember I just hopped over there and uh, started doing it for them because I knew like either way like they'll respect that you know and help them change whatever it was on that boat and then after that uh, he just kind of smiled he's like yeah I'll take y'all back up there was there a feeling like when you're rolling in the canoe, you're, you've been on the river the whole time with the intention of getting to the Gulf of Mexico. At what moment were you like, well, it's over? And like, what did that feel like? Well, I just remember, uh, you know, you picked us up. We stopped in at uh, Bourbon Street for a minute, had some shots oysters and cigars and rolled out stayed at big mama's house and then like we rolled back into your place and like you'd said something about working out at the amp you know and i'm like all right yeah cool shit we go right then you know so like i hadn't seen anybody in 110 days and, and then the amp is a music venue yeah and then the next day i'm working uh alan jackson concert with all these people and stuff and I'm just like damn I guess I'm back in it you know <laughs> like shit but it was pretty cool it was different like as far as um I didn't really know like I kind of had to get myself back into like what was I trying to do there yeah. you know but was there a feeling out there in the water like in the gulf or had you were still just like logistically trying to your head was still well, when we hit to get the back. Gulf, like we were there, and we were just kind of checking it out. Like, damn, we made it, you know. And then it, the current was kind of pushing us, slash sucking us out too. So we were like, oh shit! Like all of a sudden, like this forget all that. Like yeah, forget all that. We gotta like go, or we ain't gonna ever worry about nothing again. And uh, so yeah, you know, the whole struggle trying to get back and all that kind of. Uh, 
you know, like I had my moment down there. Um, but yeah, it wasn't too much more than just like, you know, because we had, like most people get it done in like 60 days or less. And it took us 110. I don't know if anybody's ever taken longer without like something right. devastating happening. Like, <laughs> well, at some point, y'all were. It was. It seemed to me that it was just more about. It wasn't a race. Yeah. No. And if you're truly moving with the flow of the river, well, it's like the lowest it's been. I kind of remember some numbers. You were like, where they measure it, thirteen feet is zero, and it's at nine feet. I was like it. I mean, yeah, it, it was like forty. It was like forty something feet below. I remember being, you know, camping on like a sandbar, and like a fisherman or somebody on a foil or something come by, and I'm like, yeah, it's low, you know. And they're like, yeah, like the bank is normally a half mile that direction, you know. And I'm like, you can't even see the end of the sand. Well, that's normally the bank over there. Wow. So yeah, so, if you're moving with the flow of the river, it would take you 110 days or whatever, because. But we also would stop, like, if we found a cool spot we liked, hang we'd longer. just hang out there for, you know, a day or two. Um, yeah, out of the 110 days, I think we slept with a roof over our head 10 days out of it. Yeah. You know, I believe that we only get one shot at this life, and everything in it is a tool to learn lessons and see the beauty in it but also I try not to be doing something just purely for me that will take from someone else you know like I don't worry about the small stuff like I'll go without that's fine like I'm cool like I don't need to have whatever it is but I don't know that's the biggest thing I just try to be nice to people to let them make their own choices. I don't try to force them to be something I feel like they should be. Go down to chicken style, taking that right hand row. Chicken saw taking the right hand road. And I ain't gonna stop till I come upon the mama's door. Folks down in Chicken saw who they know my name. Get them folks down in Chicken saw